Revelation chapter number 5. And uh, we left off last time round, uh, finishing chapter 4, as we looked at the throne of heaven. And what a picture and what a sight that was. And it's just beautiful. It's majestic. And, and that's because the Lord Jesus Christ is, is the center. He's the centerpiece of heaven. And if we just quickly read verse 11 of chapter 4 by way of introduction to what we're um, going to talk about tonight. Because we're, we're making, there's a change that's going to take place. Because we get to Revelation chapter number 4 verse 11. And again there's this great uh, praise and worship to him that sat upon the throne and it says thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honour and power we sung that this morning if you remember for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created so you know we have this thought of the sovereignty of the throne room of God we have the thought of the sovereignty of the one that sits upon the throne the Lord Jesus Christ and and we're dealing with creation there all things uh, were created for thy pleasure they are and were created when we get to chapter 5 now we're going to deal with the redemption of that creation so let's pick up in revelation chapter number 5 because now we're going to be introduced to what we call sometimes in 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 um our theological circles, is, is really the title deed to the earth. And I'm going to explain that a little bit as we go. But we're moving from creation to redemption. You know, we, we know that the, the whole world groans as it waits for uh, the Creator to come back and restore things to as they were. We know that we're uh, fallen. We need redeemed. Um, and here we have the one who is the only one qualified to be that Redeemer. So let's read uh, Revelation chapter number 5. We'll begin in verse number 1. And we'll probably only read to verse 4, and then as we go through uh, the rest of our time tonight, we'll look at the other verses as they come. Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 1. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? To loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Let's pause for a word of prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace in our lives, Lord. We know that. Uh, as born-again believers, we can stand redeemed under the blood of the Lamb. But, Lord, we just are ever mindful that you didn't have to come to Calvary's cross, that you chose. You chose that so that we might be redeemed. And, Lord, as we now look at the seven-sealed scroll, I pray you would help us to see the things therein. But more than anything, Lord, again, if we're to take anything away from our time tonight in your word is just how awesome you are and how worthy you are. That you are indeed the last Adam, the best Adam. Lord, where humanity failed, you triumphed. Where humanity broke, you stood fast. And Lord, the victory was secured for us because of what you did and you alone oh lord you are indeed worthy to receive honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created in your precious name amen 
So we're, we're continuing the thought from chapter 4 in that, it, that there's, there's worship taking place. And you can't but see any glimpses of heaven and see the theme is worship. It's worship. And, and I touched on this a little bit this morning that worship is really worthyship. You know, because people in the world today, they worship a lot of things, but none of them are worthy of worship. None of them are worthy of worship. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he is worthy of worship. And whatever worship we can give him, it's not enough. Because he's worthy of so much more. And really, if we were to think about chapter 5, and just to give it a little paraphrase title, it would be worthy is the lamb. Because we're going to see the lamb being introduced. And we're going to see this through the book of Revelation. I think it's 28 times, ish, something like that. You're going to see the lamb referenced to you. And, and, and you know, there's a, there's a change. When you're talking about Christ as the lamb, we're going to see this tonight. That we're really looking at the sacrificial element. But we can't disconnect this from chapter 4. It is the one upon the throne who is also the lamb. And I think that's the, the, the greatest uh, enigma in, in anything that I know. That the one who is on the throne would step off that throne, come to earth, and be the sacrificial lamb. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. You could maybe make an argument that if, if this act was done to redeem those that loved that creator... Then you could make a maybe a little argument for it, for it, but it would still baffle you. But the fact that he died for those that hated him, blasphemed him, I can't get my head around it. But we can't disconnect the two. The Christ of uh, Revelation chapter 4 is also the Christ of Revelation chapter 5. The Christ of Revelation chapter 5 is also the Christ of the Garden of Gethsemane. He's the Christ upon the tree in Golgotha. He's the Christ that said it is finished as we talked about this morning. He's the, he's the Christ that uh, was under great pressure in Gethsemane so that he sweated drops of blood. That he's the Christ that redeemed us. He's the Christ that came for us. He's also the Christ who is the centerpiece of heaven. And we should never let that fact escape us. But it wasn't just anyone that died for us. It was the king of all glory and all power. The creator, the sustainer, the Lord himself. So we get to Revelation chapter 5. And as I've said, we're, we're dealing with this same Jesus. And we're going to have a look and be introduced to the seven sealed scroll. And here's the first thing as we, as we uh, look through this. We'll not look at this tonight. There we go. We want to see that the scroll here, when we're introduced to it, or the book, that word book in Revelation 5.1, it's just a scroll. Um, when we're introduced to it, the scroll is sealed up, and that's an important f- fact in this whole uh, uh, idea that's being uh, pressed upon the reader uh, of this, that the scroll is sealed, and that would mean something. So Revelation 5 Verse number one says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat upon, uh, sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So this scroll, it's sealed with uh, seven seals. We're also told that it's written on in both sides. So it's, it's double-sided writing. Again, that points us to the information. Here's a good pictorial uh, illustration of what this scroll may have, have, have looked like. This is the concept that you have these seals. 
So you can see, again, we know what these seals are, we know what used to happen, it carried with it the authority of the one that it sealed it, and it couldn't be opened until it went to the right recipient. But this seven-sealed scroll, if you like, um, it has one seal on the top, and you, you can't get to the other seals unless you open the first seal, and, and that's the way it would, would, would work in the mind of the reader who was reading that within the, in, the, in the context. Um, so the... the um, the scroll was sealed up, and it was sealed up so that only the person that it was uh, legal, had legal right to open it, could, could open it. And anybody that opened it against that voided it because it wasn't for them. And so, you know, you have this concept um, in ancient times of the scroll. So this is, for us, it may seem, well, we don't really use this type of thing. You know, we don't have a seven-sealed email. email. No, we don't, but that's what they used to do, the seven-seed scroll. It's almost like password protected, and only the one that had the password could open the first seal, which then would enable them to go and open the other seals, but they had to be opened in the order so that they would roll out. And we're going to have a look at these sealed judgments next week, Lord, Lord uh, willing. We'll see that they are uh, in an order. But for now, we're thinking about this scroll. So... What else can we ascertain from the scroll? Well, like I said in verse number one, it says that there's writing on, on both pages. There's a lot of information there, if you like. That's the kind of thought that's being uh, put across. But what about the, the Jewish mind? Would they have any kind of concept to relate this to? Well, they, they do. Because if you want to turn with me to Jeremiah, we'll go to the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 32. Because again, you know, we, we have to try and draw out uh, what would be thought of, especially from a, a Jewish perspective, of what kind of culture and custom um, these things would have pointed to. Uh, but if you turn to Jeremiah chapter 32, and, and we'll read from uh, verse 6, five, yeah, probably verse 6. Um, of course, Jeremiah knows at this point, that Israel is going to get taken into captivity. This has been prophesied that there's going to be a 70-year captivity. But before this happens, God has, has told Jeremiah to do something. And here we read it in, in Jeremiah 32, verse 6. It says, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, So this is God's instruction to Jeremiah, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in an oath, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So, so Jeremiah is told by the Lord that his uncle is going to come to him and he has to buy, buy this uh, land uh, from him uh, for the right of redemption. That's an important phrase, is uh, thine to buy. So, verse 8, So Hamal's mine uncle's son, so this is his cousin, sorry, came to me to the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said unto me, By my field I pray thee, that is in Anoth, which is in thy country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the right of redemption is thine. So that phrase has appeared again. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field of Hanamel, my uncle's son, which was in the north, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. So here's what happens. God says that his cousin's going to come and he's going to offer him the land and he's to buy it under the right of redemption. And that's what Jeremiah does. He buys it. Then notice in verse 10, the transaction is taking place and Jeremiah subscribed the evidence. Verse 10, I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. 
So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and the custom, and that which was open, and I give evidence of the purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Masiah, in the sight of Hanamel, mine uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of purchase before all the Jews uh, of uh, all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this is the evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed, and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue for many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So we have this transaction over this piece of land. And what Jeremiah does, it's under the right of redemption. And what he does is he, he writes it, he records it, and he seals it. It ends up going in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in this uh, clay uh, earthen vessel, the jar. And then verse 15 says that the Lord of hosts has done this because once there will be a time coming where vineyards shall be possessed again in the land. Remember the 70 year prophecy that they would be uh, exiled, but they would come back. It's, it's replete through scripture. So this transaction takes place, but it's sealed, it's stored. It's a record, it's a legality. So no one can question it because it's been sealed and it's under the right of redemption. And, you know, the Jewish mind would think about the sealing of documents and the certain uh, uh, rights that went with in the laws and the customs of the Jews when it came to the redemption of things. Because you could redeem three types of things under, under the Jewish law you could redeem land which we've just seen the right of redemption and it had to be uh, a close redeemer you could redeem uh, a servant um, and you know we have the term kinsman redeemer Um, also you could redeem a a woman if was widowed left unmarried uh, no unmarried brother to marry her the living uh, brother of a deceased man chose not to marry her then the nearest kin could marry her Ruth and Boaz kinsman redeemer so, in effect, under the Jewish laws and, and, and customs, three things could be redeemed. We could redeem a servant, a wife, and the land. Now, when we get to Revelation chapter 5, and we're dealing with this scroll, and maybe this idea of redemption, certainly to do uh, with creation. When we get to this point in Revelation uh, chapter number 5, one of the, uh, the commentators, Dr. Dehan, he, he writes this. He says, basically, that at this point in Revelation, um, we have uh, the first two have been accomplished. So the church, the bride of Christ, has been caught up. His servants have been fully redeemed, receiving our resurrection bodies at the rapture of the church. But the earth is still under the curse, and it remains unredeemed, if you like. But there is that right within Jewish law and custom to redeem the land also. And, and this is what I think has happened in Revelation 5. It is the point where the one who has the right to redeem the earth steps up to the plane. Because when you look in, 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 in creation account, Adam is created and he is given dominion. He's given dominion. He was the one that was given the right to administer, manage, govern the earth on God's behalf. Now, when Adam fell, Satan stole that. He stole it. He stole it away. But when Christ comes, he comes 
to redeem. And we're going to have a look at this as we go on. This scroll that we read of in Revelation 5, you can have a look in Daniel 12 in your own time. I think it's the same in in Ezekiel chapter 2. I think it's the same scroll. So this scroll, it is sealed. That's the important thing. And again, we're carrying this thought of of redemption. We're carrying this thought of the things that could be redeemed uh, through in the mind of the Jewish reader. This sealed scroll, this legal document, belonged to the one who had paid the price to be able to uh, claim this and reveal what is written therein. So the first thing we see is the scroll sealed up. The second thing we see, look at verse 2 of Revelation 5. The search is sounded out. It says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book to loose the seals thereof? So here comes the cry from the angel. Who's worthy? Who has the right to open this legal document if we keep it in those terms? Who here has the right? That's what's called out. And notice, it's not who wants to give this a go. You ever th- I would think about almost this is like, uh, um, what do you call that? Uh, the legend of Arthur and uh, Excalibur, isn't it? Isn't it Excalibur in the rock? And you know, who, who's worried? Everybody tries to pull it out, but it's only Arthur that can, can pull it out. And, and people try, they go up and have a go. That's not the cry here. It's not who wants to have a go. See if this is a fit Cinderella in the shoe, whatever. It's not like that at all. The cry from the angel is, who is worthy? Who is worthy? Not who is able to give this a go. Not who is it wants to give this a try, but who is worthy? It's not who is willing. It's who's worthy. Verse 3. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book neither to look there on. No man. Who's worthy? No man. Neither in heaven, in earth, under the earth. What's that? That's Hades, that's hell. The waiting place for the judgment. There's nobody there. Nobody there. You think, well, why would anybody in Hades be able to even think about opening this book? Remember we talked about I think we talked about this. Or maybe it was Addison asked me the question about this. The Old Testament saints here in, 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 in Abraham's bosom. Who's worthy? None. None are worthy. Adam wasn't worthy. He lost this. He lost this. And Adam was the best of us. Humanly speaking, he was the best of us. Oh, if we'd have been there, we'd have done... no. You've got, you got to understand that Adam, was, when he was created by God, you know, we talk about today where saints say, oh, your brain doesn't use half of the capacity that it, that it did. I can tell you now that Adam, and, I, and, and although I don't have a scriptural verse to, to back this up, I can absolutely tell you that he was made good, he was made perfect. God created him not with half his brain working, all of his brain working. I absolutely believe that when Adam uh, saw, he saw with the full spectrum of vision that we can't even imagine. We are degraded. Every generation we degrade and mutations come in. The DNA pool gets mixed and polluted. We see that right from the top of the pyramid all the way down. 
So when scientists come along and say, oh, we don't use half of, 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 of our brain. Oh, we can't see half of the spectrum. Oh, we can't hear half of the sound spectrum. Adam had it all, heard it all, seen it all. People think today, think they're clever. Adam was the best of us. The best of us. And he lost it. He lost it. He wasn't worthy. He wasn't worthy. So the cry goes out. And you know, there are many today that want to claim this, this title of, wor- of, of worthyship to be able to fix the world's problems. Politicians will come along and they'll say, we'll fix the world's problems. They can't even fix their own country's problems, never mind the world's problems. But they're there. They have these ideals that we can make this world some form of utopia. There is not a chance that we are able with our sin natures to make this world a utopia. Adam did not have a sin nature. Understand that. He wasn't born with it. He had the ability not to sin. We, as human beings today, outside of salvation, have no ability not to sin. Because we're, we're, that's our human sin nature. When you become born again, you get a new nature, a new creation. And that's the bit of you that's able not to sin. It doesn't mean that you don't sin, but now you have the ability not to. Adam didn't have a sin nature. So if Adam couldn't sustain a utopia that was already there as the perfect, humanly speaking, the best of us, why would anybody today, thousands of years later, farther down the train, gene of the of the decline in the human genetic code with a sin nature be able to do that and they try and then they wonder why they feel they can't do it and what happens is you find these people that rise up and they realize that if they're going to try to put some uh, order to the world they have to control it And then what happens? We have the rise of Hitler and those that want to take their agenda and push it out because they realize that human beings are sinners and the only way that humanity can control humanity is through force. And even then it doesn't work. Who's worthy? Goes the cry. No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book. Not even that, neither to look thereon. Not even can nobody open it. They're not even worthy to look at it. Not even worthy to look at it. How does John respond? Verse 4. And I wept much. I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and read their book, the book, neither to look thereon. John understands the gravity of what's going on here. He understands at this point the first Adam had lost it. And here we have the, the, the title deeds, the right to redeem the earth under the right of redemption. And there's no one in heaven... There's no one on earth, there's no one under the earth that's worthy to open it, to look upon it. And John's reaction is he weeps. He weeps greatly. He grieves. Because there's none. There's none. Now, I am so thankful, and I pray that you are too, that the book of Revelation doesn't finish there. 
Because if this was a book that was written by men, this is where it would end. No one was worthy. No happy ever after. No one was worthy. That's it. But thankfully, thankfully, there is one. And we have more of the book. Verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. So John is grieving. And he's grieving because he knows what's at stake here. He knows it's the redemption of the earth. And John represents the tears of many, many uh, saints that have gone before. That have cried, Lord, Lord, will you fix this? Lord, Lord, will you come and, and make things right again? The Redeemer that's promised in Genesis 3 has been cried for by, for God's people all the way through. And redemption there is indeed redemption of the fallen humanity, but it's also redemption of a fallen earth. The cry has gone out, and John weeps. But then... One of the elders says, weep not. Why? Because the Savior steps up. The Savior steps up. Behold, what a word, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So notice how Christ is introduced. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the victorious one who has prevailed. How did he prevail? When did he prevail? In his humanity. When he resisted the temptation. When he went to the cross. When he uh, experienced the wrath of God for each and every one of us. When he died, buried, rose again in the third day, he prevailed. He prevailed. What the first Adam couldn't do, the last Adam did. That's why when you look at the temptation, Matthew 4, you can correlate those temptations with the very same temptations that were put forward by Satan in the garden. His tactics were the same. The lust of the flesh, uh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. And Christ didn't break in his deity. He prevailed the lion of the tribe of Judah. Notice it says also the root of David. Again, this speaks to us of the eternality of Christ, who was before David, yet after him. And he has prevailed to loose the seven seals thereof. What a victory. Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And there's an interesting thing that takes place here. I think sometimes can be missed just as we read through. Because verse 5, Christ is introduced as what in verse 5? See if you've been listening. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 6, And I beheld in the midst of the throne the four beasts stood a lamb. Stood a lamb. Today we're introduced to the lamb. Because the one who has prevailed has prevailed because 
he was the sacrificial lamb. And, and notice it's the lamb that has been slain. That word in, in, in the Greek is it's a heavy word, mutilated. Animal sacrifice has been mutilated. That's the lamb. That's the lamb. And also it says that the lamb stood as it had been slain. Have you ever seen a standing slain lamb? No. If a lamb's been slain, it's doing anything but stand. It might be hanging, but it's not, it's, it's not standing. But this lamb is. Why? Because he rose again. He's the lamb of God. And you know, it's often been said in, in heaven, hasn't it, that the only man-made thing in heaven is, is, is the marks upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the lamb that's been slain. The lion of Judah, yet the lamb of God. John turned to see a lion. That was the call in verse 5, wasn't it? The elder said, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 6, I beheld. He doesn't see a lion. He sees the, the lamb. It's the beautiful, beautiful Christ. Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he's the one on the throne. But he's also the one that stepped off the throne to redeem fallen man, fallen humanity, and fallen creation. And this lamb, though it's been slain, it's standing. Verse 6 says it having seven horns. Horns in scripture are always pictorial of power. That's the language. And uh, I make no apologies for I say power in a very northern Irish way. I know that more softly spoken English people say it a different way. My kids say it a different way. Same as uh, mirror say it in a different way. But power is the right way. It's the northern Irish way. So horns speak of power. The number seven, we know that that speaks of perfection, maturity. So the lamb who's been slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is pictured here as having complete power, perfect power. We have the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. We've looked at the seven spirits of God, uh, haven't we? Previously, it's Isaiah 11, you'll find that. Again, the number seven, it's completion. It, it, it's God's number, the perfect number. Then verse 7 says, And he came. Oh, rejoice, rejoice. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken, taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vials full of orders, which are the prayers of the saints. So here... Scripture tells us what the golden vase full of orders are. They're the prayers of the saints. As I've said, the prayers of the ages have been that the Redeemer would come and that redemption would be a complete redemption, a restoration back to the way things were, where we should have been in the garden. And the prayers are answered here because the one steps up to take the book, the lamb, having been slain, having prevailed, steps up. What a beautiful, beautiful picture it is. So the scroll is sealed up. Who's going to open it? What man is able? There's none in heaven. There's none on earth. There's none under the earth. The search is sounded out. The only one that is worthy and able and has the right to is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the royal one. The lamb that was slain, standing, the risen one. 
And because of that, because of that, there's a new song sung out. Verse 9. And they sung a new song. We've gone from this somber moment where there's complete silence in heaven. And sil- uh, heaven's not a place of silence that often, but there are silences. We're going to see it, and it's always where it's a very somber moment. But when we get into this, and we have this somber moment where John is weeping in verse 4. No man is there. Then the Lord steps up, and he takes that which is his. And because of that, there's a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Notice that taking the book, the next correlation, the next step in that is opening the seals. This is going on to happen now. And we're going to seal these seal judgments. These are the judgments that are poured out upon the earth. It is there where they take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God, kings and priests. What, what, a, what a transformation that is. From sinners under the wrath of God. Because of the one who could do this. Because of the one who shed his blood. We move from not only just those that are forgiven. Not only just those that are just said your sins are pardoned. But those that are set up to a place where we are kings and priests. And we shall reign on earth. Verse 11, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And here it is saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. Again, the right way to say it. Riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory and blessing. Let's count those. The first thing. That the Lord is worthy to receive is power, one. Riches, two. Wisdom, three. Strength, four. Honor, five. Glory, six. And blessing, how many? Seven. 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 Remember, seven is the number of completion, perfection, maturity. The perfect number. This is the perfect song to the perfect one. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom, strength, honor, glory and blessing. Verse 13, and every, underline that, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. The four and the twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And I touched on this last week a little bit. That earth as it stands does not give the worthy one the praise he is due. We give him everything but. We give him everything but praise. He gets ridiculed. His name gets used as a curse word. He gets mocked. His creation gets messed with. His order gets taken apart. His teaching gets taken out of the family, the home, the school. His way is rejected. He doesn't receive that which he is 
worthy of. But the scene in heaven is one where he receives the praise and honor he is due, and it is perfect praise, it is perfect honor, and it's eternal. It's eternal. There will be a day, there will be a day when all, every creature which is in heaven, on earth, under the sea, and all that are in them will say blessing and honor and glory and power unto him that sitteth upon the throne. Heaven is Christocentric. Christ is the centerpiece of heaven. And in heaven, he will receive the glory that he is due. And in this scene in heaven, the only one that's worthy, the only one that's able to redeem the earth, that has the right of redemption, steps up to open the sea. And when he opens the sea, we're going to see next week that the judgment of God is poured out as we head towards the end of things which is really the restoration of all things, which brings us back to the beginning of all things, because God is a God of order. Let's pray.